subatomic gigantic occasion was a sweep in Japan nation when along came a dude with an ultra attitude, a common Morado, the greatest kicker of Japan. And of all man. Last you short now, baby. To not talk big now, baby. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to a brand new episode of Kaiju Conversation. I'm your host, Elijah, and joining me as always, my lovely co-host and editor. Hello, I am Rex. And here we are in October. Whew, October already. The year is very terrifyingly nearing its end. (laughs) Yeah, I just saw a post the other day about how, like, we're down to, to very few months, like... Right. <laughs> like, when this episode goes live, we quite literally have two months left. Oh, don't don't remind me. <laughs> it's insane. Like, this month, like, once we got through July and, like, the first two weeks of August has just been bam, 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 like, mm. going crazy. Mm. I wonder if us being on, this, on the grind set of sorts kind of adds to that feeling or not (laughs) right right because it is october which means you get four episodes this month which i guess this year isn't very special since we've kind of done that like literally every month besides like two (laughs) but you know we're we're here for four lovely Mm -hmm. episodes with the theme of the month being should we should we review the month I'd say so. the, the the theme? Okay. Rex, why don't you let them know? Well, today, dear listeners, or this month, I suppose, we are the theme of this month is something very special to dear Elijah here. Yeah, I wasn't complaining about this like three <laughs> episodes ago. Quite literally, like the irony with this. <laughs> he as he loves his life and loves this genre of films, Elijah suggested that we do Zombie Month. Which, when I suggested that, I should have realized that I shouldn't watch as many zombie movies as I have. <laughs> Which, I mean, I guess I'm a little more acquainted, if we want to make that argument. Yeah, if, if you want to make that argument. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're we're doing Zombie Month. Four zombie movies that are kaiju, tokusatsu, or J-horror adjacent, or quite literally the genre. So enjoy Will these. Will regret four. it? Will I regret That's it? That's a maybe, real question. Maybe not. We'll see. Mm. So stay tuned for all of the exciting content we'll be covering this month. But before we start covering the zombie content... Rex, how have you been, man? Well, I've been pretty good so far. Busy week, but, you know, not much you can do about that. Anything exciting happen? Uh, just mostly kind of a fair bit of running around, you could say. <laughs> okay. Kind of busy running around, getting everything done. I know it's right. a big, big end of the year for you, so I'm sure. Right. But we did get a Godzilla Minus One trailer, if I remember right. (laughs) And we've officially dated this episode so hard. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we got a Minus One trailer. We got a Godzilla or Monarch Legacy of Monsters trailer. You never know. 
by the time this comes out, maybe like a day prior, a, a new TV spot or something could have happened for minus one. <laughs> this is true. This is true. But two, and two, maybe I, a monarch I, one as well. Maybe, maybe. But in the meantime, I do. I was kind of wanting to chat with you about this stuff because we have three major things this week. We had the minus one teaser, which. We have a two-hour podcast talking about that, right? Yes, in great detail. <laughs> but we also got the Monarch Legacy of Monsters trailer with some new stills. So what what do you think about that? Uh, it, all things considered, it actually looks decently promising. I mean, I was already more interested in it than Godzilla X-Kong the new empire of Star Wars or something, the last Titan, I don't know, whatever, whatever <laughs> they're going to call it. The, the, the Kaiju the, awakens the, with the last Jedi and the rise of Kong. Oh, uh, I was going to say that. No, I was going to say rise of Kong. God damn it. Godzilla versus Kong, the rogue solo story. Jesus. Um, but yeah, no, I was already more interested in it purely because no one god. <laughs> Godzilla so, X Kong DeLorean. Right. But this trailer has it actually looked pretty pretty interesting, all things considered. It did. I mean the cinematography looks way better than I expected. Right. I mean I knew the visual effects would be would be pretty good because, like, having seen the first season of Prehistoric Planet, not yet having seen the second one, sadly. Um, yeah, that series was absolutely gorgeous. So mm -hmm. I'm not surprised that we've that so far we're seeing some pretty great looking CG. Um, I will say, Monsterverse never beating those Heisei Gamera allegations, but you know, congrats on Gauss for getting into the Monsterverse. <laughs> could well okay so before we talk about the titans so this movie takes place right Sorry. after 2014 and dirt yes the show god <laughs> it's it's going to be hard for me to like not call it a movie because the monsterverse is just basically movies um and and very very law um law heavy or what's the word for very consistent law building comics. Yes, yes, very, very, very consistent. Doesn't break continuity. No, at I don't all, know what you're ever. talking about. <laughs> um, but it takes place during the events of 2014, directly after the. It takes place during the event prior, during the events of Skull Island, and before the Castle Bravo testings. Right. Which, Even focusing on one of the characters from Godzilla Awakening? That's the 2014 yes. comic, right? Yes. Yes. We have a character I, I, from I that. I keep getting it confused which one's Awakening and awakening and which one's Aftershock. Aftershock. <laughs> I, I do too. I do too because, like, truth be told, the Awakening comics basically ignored at this point, which is a weird 
thing to consider when they're you know using a character, but they won't put that in any, any of their omnibuses or anything. I mean, isn't it in like the most recent one? To be fair, I don't think so. I could have sworn it's it's in like the most recent one with like the new short story from like Zed. I'm checking real quick because I I don't. Oh, it okay. So it does have awakening. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's got Godzilla Awakening, Skull Island, The Birth of Kong, Godzilla Aftershock, Godzilla Dominion, Kingdom Kong, and the new one, Godzilla Fight or Flight. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but that's the first time, like, the Titan mytho- mythology? Is that what it's called? I guess. <laughs> that that didn't include it um, when they were talking about like when they market the comics they don't include awakening and while af- like aftershock uh skull island birth of kong dominion and kingdom kong all seem to have some sort of connection to the movies aftershock was basically ignored the entire time in its movie mm-hmm. which has always made that one a little weird mm-hmm but no, it's it's exciting to see that we have Bill Randa coming back as well. Yes, poor John Goodman. I was sh- I was sh- so when when I heard his voice, I was like, "Is that?" I John was like, Goodman? "Wait a minute." <laughs> yeah, I'm I like, was like, did they, "Whoa!" Did they bring back John Goodman? Or are they using like archive material, or did they just get an actor to do a, a good impression of him? <laughs> That's what I thought it was, and then we had a shot of him, and I was like, "Whoa!" They got him back. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was thrilled to see him back because he's the cool I mean, he's the best monarch agent, I would say. Right. Yeah, I'm just I'm just glad to see just glad to see John Goodman again. I love I love him as an actor. <laughs> Likewise. And so, I mean, we also got a still of the person playing young Bill Randa, and in the trailer we saw that he one of his like bags, his monarch bags is going to be something plot related so i'm gonna i mean the first teaser for the show i believe we got was like a picture of like his book right so this is kind of my theory the movie happened the The movie (laughs) the show the show happens during 2014 following the events of 2014 these the our main characters go digging that's when they meet kurt russell who then between those two, they start just f- figuring out stuff, which I don't think we're going to get like a huge backstory. I don't think. Um, I think what it'll end up being is we find out Bill Randa went to Skull Island. Um, we find out that he was a part of the Castle Bravo testings. We'll have the stuff about Godzilla and the Lawton and all of that. Um, during all of this, we'll have Kurt Russell also giving exposition and like flat flashbacks to the stuff he did with Monarch towards mm-hmm. the end of the show. Cause we do see Skull Island. They go to right. Skull Island. Seemingly, um, yeah. I think we'll go to Skull Island towards the end of the show where we're going to get the new Titan. Um, and I think that's where the movie will conclude is on Skull Island. You said movie again. Oh, God. Dang it. <laughs> the show will end on right. Skull Island. 
Mm. And, and I'm curious if we'll see Kong in it in any capacity. <laughs> I bet we'll get a glimpse. There is a few unused VFX shots of Kong, to my understanding, so maybe they'll reuse one of those. <laughs> maybe. So, yeah, I... I think it's exciting we're we're back to Skull Island. There will be stuff in Japan. I don't right. think Godzilla will appear in Japan, which sucks uh. because we've we've been in we were in Janjira and then we were in Tokyo in 2014. Godzilla never appeared and it looks like we do go back to Japan, but I don't know mm-hmm. if Godzilla is going to appear, which sucks. It just it doesn't feel like God, it's, you know, a Godzilla mo- show or movie. Without Godzilla, I mean, Godzilla even in Godzilla, series. <laughs> yeah, like he was, he even went to Japan in Godzilla the series. Mm-hmm. I remember that scene because it was on the airplane, and the oh, child said, right, "Mommy, right. it's it's a Gojira," and she said, "Oh, she's like, honey. why would Gojira ever go come to Japan?" Which I mean, it's a funny line, but it's you know, but still, he was in Japan. He right. appeared in Japan. Right. I mean, yeah, it's just kind of weird that Godzilla's only appearance it's seen in Japan in the MonsterVerse is, like, the opening credits of 2014 with, like, the Castle Bravo scene. And that's, that's not even in Japan. That's like Right, the, but it's the closest thing to it. Right, right. Because, I mean, he's – we've seen him in the bottom – in the Hollow Earth, on uh, in the Antarctic, San Francisco, Florida – which is the first time Godzilla's really well? No, this is the second time, third time he's appeared in the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen him. I'm trying to think. He hasn't went to New York. I is there anywhere else he's been in the MonsterVerse besides the Arctic, Florida, San Francisco? He went to Boston. He he did go to Boston. Actually, that's weird. He's only been in the Atl- he's been in the Atlantic Ocean since King of the Monsters. I mean, I, I don't remember. I don't remember if you said this already, but Hong Kong. Oh, Hong as well. Kong. That's right. That's right. Well, I guess when you have Hollow Earth tunnels that make you zip around, uh, it's hard it to go it- home. This is true. <laughs> but no, I Godzilla No Way Home. Oh, there we go. There's there's the alternative title, Godzilla No Way Home. <laughs> but no, I'm excited. I am I'm excited. I won't I'm not gonna go out and find a way to get Apple Plus TV, to be honest. I'm not gonna go yeah. out of my way for that. So you're just not gonna watch it or <laughs> I'm I mean I might I might not. I might hope to God it comes to physical. You're gonna be waiting a long while. <laughs> Maybe. But like well, I, I don't like, even think prehistoric planets on physical media. But in all fairness, Legendary might have some say in that. Maybe. Hopefully. <laughs> I don't know, I wouldn't hold my breath on that. Not for a while anyways. Or maybe I'll try the free the free trial. Oh, I thought you were gonna say the free market for a second there. No, no. <laughs> But, I mean, like, my only option to watch this is on my laptop because I don't have Apple TV and I don't have an Apple to phone. All I have Apple is is my laptop. So I 
I guess. I mean, I could go the internet browser on on my phone, but then it'd be even worse. <laughs> so I don't really want to do that. But I mean, does your TV not have the option for Apple? So no, I just found out it had the Netflix option, but that's because it's all through my 4K player. But my 4K player is Sony. I don't think I can get a Apple TV Plus on there. Mm. I mean, I'd say check anyways, honestly. I might. I'll I'll probably check, if not when I get home, a little later. Right. Yeah, no. I'll, I'll probably check it out when it comes out. You'll have to let me know how, how good it... I would laugh if this turns out to be the best thing the MonsterVerse ever produced. Honestly, very well could be, to be honest. <laughs> like like watch it be so it's it's 10 episodes correct yeah watch it be 10 episodes and it's the best things like 10 40 minute episodes and it ends up being better than skull island kong skull island gvk king of the monsters 2014 all the novelizations and all the tie-in comics i mean hey if it has kurt russell stare down godzilla at any point in the show then it's an automatic 10 out of 10 i mean it might <laughs> or at the very least it's automatically better than anything when god puts a screen i mean it already well, i guess is. it already is <laughs> yeah <laughs> it already is so i mean i i this isn't really a breakdown, so I, unless you've got anything else you want to say, like go ahead, feel free to move topics. Well, to move topics, going back to what I said about Gauss's, Gauss joining the MonsterVerse, I want to actually say congrats again to Gauss for appearing twice in the this week with the release of Gamera Rebirth. Did you watch it? I have seen the first four episodes so far. Gotcha, gotcha. What a, I guess we'll transition to what you've watched Kaijun Tokusatsu this week. What did you think of uh, Gamma Rebirth so far? Mm, the first two episodes, I wasn't really feeling it that much. It's, it was kind of mixed overall. I thought the fights were neat, but I wasn't really feeling the show overall. But my opinion is starting to improve a bit with episodes three and four. Okay. How would you rank them so far? Um, well, I don't know about ranking, but like, I guess it just probably like Jiga episode was the least engaging one for me, and like Gauss after that, and then Zigra and Gueron episode at the top. So that's episode. So I guess two, two is worst. After that is one, and then episode three, and then the best one is four. Okay, okay. I was trying to what remember a... the order while saying that. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I, I get it. You're not as, as true of a fan as I am, as I have it all memorized. Wow, okay, mister. I, I list everything down, and then I write it down again, and I write it down again, or something like that, I imagine. How dare you assume that I wrote that down? Wow, flips through notes. I'm I'm making sure I didn't. 
I can confirm that I did not write down anything about Gamma Rebirth. Mm, I have my doubts. I swear have to God. Doubts. The okay, so I did post it on the Discord server, but my phone is shut off. Mm. I am not mm. looking at my phone. Right, but you wrote it down, and you know, writing it down makes your memory memory automatically better. Apparently, so then you, know. you need to do better. Well, shut up. <laughs> Is that is that the best comeback you can get? Hmm? No, is... but I'm not allowed to say my better ones. Oh, I see, I see. <laughs> okay, okay. I thought you were just like, well, no, you. I thought you just tried to pull an Uno reverse, but... Um, outside of that, what if I watched this week? Well, I also, unfortunately, in... Anticipation for Gamera Rebirth, I sat down and finally put on Gamera Super Monster. Oh no. You can hear the energy in my voice just seep away as I even think about it. You you know what's sad about that movie? <clears throat> what? It was made in hopes that Dai wouldn't go bankrupt. Like, they... That... they... They threw that movie together to try and keep the company afloat. Boy, that worked out well. And I'm pretty sure so so Noriaki Wasa killed Gamera at the end of that movie, and that was because he didn't want Gamera to suffer anymore. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's like it's it's like in an interview. He was like, Yeah, I wanted to end Gamera after that, so I killed him. <laughs> Damn, he didn't want his baby to be just desecrated any further. So Noriaki Wasi even Honestly, knew how enough. awful that movie was. Fair enough. I, I I respect that. That's maybe the one decision I now respect in Gamera Super Monster. Oh, I thought you were about to say that Noriaki Wasi did. I was about to say, what? Yuasa's a very nice human being. I respect Yuasa. I, I respect him too. He did. He made and the he better Gamera's. Oh, he did, which was actually phenomenal. Yeah. If it's you want to check movie. out. Yeah. And we covered it last October. Yes. Go listen yes. to that. Go listen to that. What else have you checked out, Rex? Because I don't really want to sit on Super Monster much longer. I feel yeah, like we're already... I don't think anyone wants to sit down and watch it, but it's 90, it's like 90 minutes long, which is 90 think... minutes too long. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Outside of that, I really haven't watched that much this week. But I did forget to mention last time that I had also seen The Grudge 2. The American one? Yes. That was also directed by Shimizu, was it not? Yes, yes. Takashi Shimizu directed it. <laughs> and it's sort of... it. It's like mostly an original story, but it does kind of take a couple scenes from Juon the Curse 2, and also the first Juon the Grudge. Like with the subplot with the... Remember like the detective's daughter in that film? Yes. Yeah. And like her going crazy? That That is actually redone in The Grudge 2 American. Okay. Interesting. See, my oh, biggest... and it also rips off Ring. <laughs> like the oh, Nakata film specifically. Which, so like Ring... Ring 2 or The Ring 2? Hmm? 
Which oh, which oh, Nakata? I mean the right? original Nakata film. How so? Because basically, there's like the Grudge Two kind of tries to, I guess, further develop Kayako's character by like having a subplot about the main character in this film, who ironically is played by an actor in The Ring. Um, she goes and meets Kayako's mother, who's mm-hmm. like um, was like. She was like an exorcist, and she was basically feeding all the demons she exorcised into Kayako. And this is explained in a flashback sequence that happens in basically the exact same way as like the scene in Ring where Ryuji meets with Sadako's uncle. Right. And then he grabs his arm and then has the flashback. Like it happens pretty much exactly like that scene. (laughs) So oh, maybe there's I'd also like the it. implication that Sarah Michelle Gellar thinks any Asian woman is could be Kayako, so she becomes a racist. Oh, lovely. <laughs> well, don't worry, she's only in the movie for like ten minutes. Spoiler: I haven't seen it yet. Oh, sorry. So I honestly, it sounds like I might enjoy it a little more than The Grudge because my I, biggest I think gripe... I liked it more. <laughs> yeah, cuz cuz my biggest gripe with The Grudge is it's quite literally a beat for beat remake of Juon The Grudge. Yeah, which with like makes a couple it... scenes from the curse added in. But like it's less it's boring. Like you know exactly yeah. where it's going. It was shot at the same places. It has the same actors and actresses like it was just a it's it's a like scene for scene remake which the ring didn't do and i like that because it it was scary and it had some new interesting stuff you knew where it was right. going like but it i was... don't think i don't think the ring is as good as as nakata's ring but right. i can appreciate what that film's trying to do and what it changes to an extent right. yes and I and I especially appreciate that the ring focuses tries to focus more on the actual investigation itself, which happens mostly off screen in the Carter's film. Right, which I appreciate. I appreciated the the changes the ring did, and honestly, I think I, I have to emphasize the ring. <laughs> um. But no, I I appreciate the differences, and I think Gore Verbinski is probably one of the only directors to understand how to properly adapt a Japanese film into an American film. From what I've seen, at least, I still need to watch uh, Pulse, and I still have to watch One Missed Call, but I'm sure none of those are... I I don't hear very good things about either of those films, so... Yeah, and there's there's still, like, two or three others I need to watch, and there's, like, an American... Maybe Dark Water will be okay. Oh, that's right, I need to watch that one, too. I forgot about (laughs) that. But, okay, so, I mean, you've you've piqued my interest for The Grudge, too. Right. It's not really a good movie, but I enjoyed it. Okay. (laughs) And it is, like, the last, like... The last like Juon film to feature not only Shimizu as director, but also appearances from Takako Fuji and oh, what's his name? Um, the kid? No, 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 not the kid. Takeo's actor. I'm trying to think of his name. Takashi Matsuyama. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. Takeo being Kayako's husband that kills her. Right. Yeah, it's the last appearances of them in the series. And even the old man from Drew on the Grudge. Like the peekaboo man. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, he's he makes a little cameo in The Grudge too. Huh. Interesting. Still playing Peekaboo. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, yeah, because I know after that, The Grudge Three is very disconnected from the rest of the franchise. I and think then... it carries over one, like a character or two from The Grudge Two. Although I could, I thought they died, but whatever. <laughs> right, but I know like. Shimizu had nothing to do oh, with yeah, the Grudge no Shimizu, No Takako Fuji, no Matsuyama's Takeo. So basically, a, a failure in that regards already. <laughs> right, and it was it was straight to video, if I recall. Like it wasn't it wasn't well yeah. acknowledged. I mean, I will say this: I kind of thought the Grudge Two was straight to video for a portion of its runtime. Oh. Which is ironic because it's actually got a higher budget than the first. <laughs> oh, dang. Okay. Well, maybe maybe that was just simply because, I mean, Shimizu... I mean, the first two Juon films were straight to video. The first two Juon shorts were straight to video. And then The Grudge was his first theatrical film, but it still looked very low budget. So mm-hmm. maybe that's just Shimizu being Shimizu. I don't know. I think it was just kind of like the grading and and like the compositing because it's mainly a because the scene that mainly make me made me think oh is this direct is this the direct where the series goes direct to video was like it's a shot of the house and the characters looking up at it and the background kind of just looks really fake yeah yeah okay and that's kind of what made me think oh is this is this where they started going direct to video (laughs) gotcha and then isn't so the grudge 2018 2020 oh it's 2020 that's right yeah is that linked i mean that one's only kind of linked to the first film okay so that was kind of like a reboot i know it has the same producers as the rest of the juan franchise with like sam raimi and whatnot but i think their part was very disconnected i know it's basically a remake but it's also a continuation. Yeah, it's it's not even really a continuation. It's more like a concurrent story, if that makes sense. A pseudo sequel? I guess. It's from what I recall, it's like it's a sequence of events that's happening like around the same time as the first The Grudge, if I remember right. But it's happening in a very different location. Gotcha. Being and of the course, US. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. And that was that was all you've seen, correct? Pardon? That was yeah. that all of your Okay. Yeah, I believe so. All I can remember. Well, that makes me feel good because once again I've beaten you on the Tokusatsu and Kaiju and J Horror. Two in a row? Yeah, two in a row. Look at that. I um uh, I started you have to step my, tuk- up my game. You're gonna have to, especially because I stepped up my game, and I watched the first three Death Death Note movies. Ooh, nice! I watched Death Note, and then the sequel, Death Note: The Last Name, both directed by Shutsuke Kaneko. Right. Which you, you actually, um, you watching those movies has inspired me to like. Once I finish Gamma Rebirth and ring the final chapter, which, by the way. Also, three episodes in on that now. It's pretty good so far. Um, 
once I finish at, at least one of those, I'll probably start the Death Note anime again. <laughs> Will you watch all the spinoffs and whatnot too? I don't know if there are any spinoffs to the anime, probably, but I have not looked into them. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, so I watched those, and then I watched Al Change the World, which was a Hideo Nakata film. Yes. And from my understanding, it is completely original. It's just mildly connected to the Death Note movies. It's It's mm-hmm. got some connections to the sequel, but not a lot. I enjoyed them a lot. I understand now why people don't like the Adam Wingard movie, because admittedly, before watching these, I had a pretty good thought and view of the Adam Wingard film, but that's also because I had no exposure to Death Note, period. Right. So when I when I finally watch them, the they're like two hours each, like two hours and ten minutes each. Even L changed the world's long. Hmm. And the Death Note movie from America is like an hour and a half, maybe maybe two hours. I want to say it's got like a 90-minute runtime. It's an hour and 41 minutes, so it's 100 minutes long. Mm-hmm. It does, like, it covers only a portion of, of what the Death Note movies did. And I was told that was even like a, a very quick summary of, of what the manga and the anime cover. Right. I mean, the anime series was about, like, 37 episodes, I believe. So, I mean, that being said, I enjoyed them a lot. Um, L Changed the World kind of dragged for me, but that's because the story was over, and the way they set it up, you know how it's going to end. It's just the side story that you can be invested in, which the, the biggest thing the, the movie has is L is such a cool character to watch. Um, right. That's what keeps you interested. Everything else for me just kind of was like, eh, whatever. <laughs> I could take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. But besides that, in preparation and excitement for Gamma Rebirth, I found out that I can have Netflix on my television. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. And thank you. I was very, I was so excited. I was so proud of myself. Um, <laughs> I ended up watching uh, Ultraman Season 2 which is Ooh. only six episodes long, which I didn't like it nearly as much as I liked the first season. It was pretty bad, all things considered. But I feel like if I were to rewatch Ultraman season one, I wouldn't like it as much either because since then I've watched Return of Ultraman, Ultraman Ace, Ultraman Taro, Ultraman Leo, most of Ultraman 80, Ultraman The Adventure Begins, and Shin Ultraman. Mm-hmm. So like... And I'm more familiar with everything else in between. I'm pretty sure I would end up not liking it. Um, but I mean, I'll I'll eventually find out when I rewatch them. <laughs> and I still have to watch season three. I think I might do that after I finish eighty, just to finish up the anime show and then hop right into Tiga. Right. But Ooh, after getting to Tiga soon. Maybe. Hopefully, hopefully. I was going to watch some Ultraman 80 this week, but I ran out of time. I just got busy with everything else, and I was super tired. I ended up falling asleep, um, finishing Gamma Rebirth, so that I just, I was like, I'm just going to go to bed so I can finish 80 later. I want to say I'm up to, on 80, 
I want to say I'm like middle of, so I think I'm on to episode 29 of 50. I see. So, so that's, that's a little over halfway. Um, I am hoping that by the end of this coming week, I can be into the forties. Um, I think that's going to be my next kind of push here is watching Ultraman 80. Right. But we'll see. But I did watch Gamera Rebirth. Like I said, I've watched all six episodes. Mm-hmm. I found it okay. I have a lot of gripes with it. Um, apparently, I'm right. on the. I'm apparently I'm on the like minority because a lot of people seem to like it. Yeah, I. <laughs> I don't care for the animation, which is the biggest complaint I see. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like the show misses the mark up until the sixth episode, which I can't really talk about. I guess because you haven't seen episodes five or six yet but the show picks up with episode four i think episode five is a good follow-up and then episode six is the best and the most gamma the series gets okay but it took six episodes to get there which is my biggest problem and only half the series is good to or is okay is good to great Mm -hmm. the first three are meh to okay I, I, even, I quite enjoyed the Zegra episode honestly <laughs> I have a lot of gripes with the Zegra one and and to to that as well I feel like the show has too many tropes that the show has it's not like kaiju movie tropes like it's all tropes within itself but those tropes to me are a huge issue for it that I'm not a fan of mm-hmm so overall, like if, if I had to rank the episodes, it would be probably be episode six, episode four, episode five. Uh, I'm thinking here. Let me I have a list. I'm going to pull it up. <laughs> Someone didn't you say you didn't have a list before? I, I said I did, but I didn't have it pulled up. Mm. So. My list of episodes, the ranking I would have is, uh, okay, episode six is the best, episode four is the second best, episode five is the third best, episode two is the third worst, episode three is the second worst, episode one is the worst. Mm -hmm. But I think that's because episode one has the most characters and it's like the least engaging or interesting. Right. And I have a huge problem with how Gamera is portrayed in the show. I, I just, I don't think it, I don't think Gamera is Gamera till the sixth episode. So I think the first episode kind of also part of my issue with it is, you know, Gauss is kind of just, Hey, say Gauss, but less, like, less interesting terrifying. because it's just the same, but, not done as well. <laughs> right, right. I mean, the show basically does the Godzilla the series thing, but with only six episodes and 45 minutes to do it in. Which like, I, th- I think I think it does work in some regard, but it's just the first two episodes are, are a pretty weak start. 
Yeah, it it starts weak and it gets better, but by the end it's good. I think you've you've I mean, you're already over the hump and you're basically at the end of the show and mm. it's like, well, it's just getting good and it's already over like right. I could take it or leave it. Right. I mean, it's nice to see Gamera back, but you know, I, I would have preferred seeing him in something that better matched the quality of his last four main appearances. Likewise, likewise. This is pretty up the middle for me, in mm-hmm. contrast to the last four, which are basically his best works. Right. So for me, it's like, eh. if if I'm going to put on a Gamera thing, this is probably going to be one of my second options, not one of my first options. Right. But I, I guess it it's better than some of the show movies. I'll give it, it that. Is. I'll it's give it better that. than It's better than it most is. of them. In fact, it is. I would agree. But besides that, I ended up watching The Warped Forest. I think it was last episode I may have watched Funky Forest. I believe so. And so this time I watched the sequel, The Warped Forest, which was a little bit better. It was a little less disappointing of an ending. Um, It's only like half the runtime. It's like 80 minutes in contrast to like two and a half hours the first one is. Mm-hmm. This one only had one director, and it had two Juwan actors that I was kind oh. of surprised to see. Um, you have the the detective. His oh, name is Tanaka. Yes, yes. Yeah, he's, he's in a one of the ton of Japanese movies. He is. Um, he was in that one, and then you have the father from Reber, uh, uh, the Brave. Um, oh, Kanji Suda. Kanji Suda was in Another that. Another actor and, in tons of movies. Yes. Um, so it was cool to see them. I enjoyed it pretty pretty thoroughly. And and speaking of that actor, he was in... I was actually surprised by this. He was the star of the last movie I watched, which was Blood from 2009, which I brought up when I talked about Red Tears. Mm-hmm. Um, this was... Well, funny uh, that not- you bring up Red Tears since both of... Bring it in relation to that, because both of the... Uh, the main actor or the main guy behind Red Tears, like the actor we were talking about last time, he both of them were main villains in Garo Yamio Tarasic Mono. <laughs> right. So I, you know, I thought, I mean, Warped, the Warped Forest was a better movie than Funky Forest. Mm-hmm. Still, I won't watch it regularly. It's weird. Um, I mean, I think that's kind of the thing for... Is it the Shishirology? I don't remember who it was, but there was someone involved in those movies who's just done some absolutely wild, like other stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm seeing footage from and like in like a Twitter video that I think Arrow Video put out or something. I don't quite remember. And it looked, and some of the other stuff looked absolutely wild. Just think, one day we'll cover those movies. Perhaps. <laughs> You're going to have to sit through them one day, Rex. Well, at least Hideaki Anno is in Funky Forest. And I can say that he probably had the best part. Damn. You know, apparently he's the lead actor in one of Hayao Miyazaki's movies. Like, he's really? the lead voice actor. Yeah. It's one of his more recent movies, too. I don't quite remember what it was called. Oh, it might have been his, uh, Wind Rises, actually, I think. Hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. He's he's the main actor in it. And then Hidetoshi Nishijima, who was in Shin Ultraman and Black Sun and a bunch of other movies, he's like like one of the other leading actors in it. And then Mansai Nomura, Shin Godzilla's actor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. So I watched that. And then Blood was pretty okay. I mean, it was pretty standard. I It didn't have anything too amazing. It didn't have anything too awful. Kind of a just a run-of-the-mill, like, vampire movie. I, I don't really have a lot of thoughts really yet on it. And with that, I'm, I, I didn't watch anything else. Damn. So that's all we've got? Yeah. So Wait, where are we? Where are the zombies? You, you um, love zombies, but but like you didn't watch any. N- no. What? Then what happened to Zombie Month? Maybe it died. We need to bring it back to life. Oh, we're gonna have to, yeah, resurrect it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Let's see. We we gotta pick one. Yeah, we gotta we, pick we, one. But we can't cut the recording, you know. Right, we have to keep going. The camera can't stop. Well, your camera did stop. <laughs> For now. But but we have to keep filming. I don't we have, have a camera. Keep, we have to keep recording. <sighs> so we have to cover something of, of The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What's the one film that we can cover before we cut about The Walking Dead? I don't know. Are we going to cover all how many seasons there are of The Walking Dead? Is it like no. seven, fifteen, no. twenty-five? No. Thirty-nine? Stop. I don't know how many there are. I can't take this, Rex. We need something that, that will keep me interested. I mean, I mean, it kept apparently it kept audiences interested enough for it to last, however many seasons it has. Let's pick something else. Oh, but so no Jeffrey Dean Morgan. No. Oh, that's something Japanese. Something Japanese. Oh, right, right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you're the expert. You should pick. Um. God, I don't have enough caffeine for this. I'm trying to think, but my mind's drawing a blank. Damn, that's truly tragic. What What do you have in your notes? You were really flipping through that notebook a while ago, so surely you must have something. Let's see here. What What do I have? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Just like that. Movies, movies, movies. Um, let's see. I'm 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 trying to find something. Find faster. Give me, give me, give me just one second. I'll come up. With... Oh, okay. Kamada o Tomuru na. What do you think? Do you know what that is? I I do. What I do, what, what is but... that? It's it's written in my notes. Yeah, it means don't stop the camera. Right. We we can't. We have to keep recording. Yeah. Yeah. It's also the title of today, the film of today's episode, Kamara Otamaru, or in English, One Cut of the Dead. 
Ah, that's what it is. Yes, yes. Yeah, you wrote notes and you didn't even remember what. I know, uh, I'm a mistake. Yeah, yeah. So, before we get into this, I do want to stress this. Planned. I want to stress this. If you haven't seen this movie, don't watch a trailer. Don't read the, the synopses. Go watch it. It's on yeah, Shutter. Pause this. Pause this. Pause this. Go, go to your sh- Shutter. Get a premium subscription or whatever it is. The, it's the, only five ninety nine. They made me. They made me re-sign up for some reason. I'm very annoyed about that, but whatever. <laughs> it's it's only a five ninety nine subscription. It's very cheap. If you want to, you can get you can watch Noroi the Curse. You can watch Rings Bible Ring Two. Sadako versus Kayako, Ring Zero you've Birthday. The, you've got the the Mako Kaji Female Prisoner Scorpion series as well. And a handful, I mean, the Yokai Monster movies and a handful of other J-Horror. You can watch right. all of that. You can do the seven-day free trial if you want. brilliant horror films. And, but make sure you watch One Cut of the Dead. Go do that right. and then come back because it's better to not know anything about this movie. Yeah, oh, 100%. So... With that, now that we've gotten that out of the way, we're going to go into the film. So Mm -hmm. before we do that, though, we need to talk about the production here because this has a production that dates back all the way to 2011. Mm -hmm. So, Rex, do you want to start us off? Well, um, from what I was able to gather which i think you might have more than me a lot more than me but um from (laughs) from what i gather this film sort of begins with a was it a stage play if i wrote that down right yes a stage play play. ryochi wada titled i believe it's ghost in the box was the translation i had yes that um i believe it played from 20 was it 2011 to 2014 so that's what the research that's what the 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 articles you read definitely said but that's not the truth at all. Okay. Um so it was it first performed in 2011. Mm-hmm. It was an, so it was announced June 15th of 2011 by the the theater company called Peace. Mm-hmm. It was their second play ever. Peace is a theater group that started in 2010 it was the it it was it was so it actually started before that before peace was the theater group there was a group called beat of beat which started in 2006 and disbanded in 2009 following that they came together in 2010 and formed peace Mm -hmm. that was the name of the theater group and they started their first one. Their first play was a Fukushima inspired play. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's titled, if I remember correctly, First Smile. Okay. Their second play was Ghost in the Box. Rehearsals began in late of June, specifically June 30th of 2011. And so for stage plays, your actors, so they wrote the script. In early 2011, uh, Mr. Ryuchi Wada wrote the script. Uh, he co-wrote it, actually. He co-wrote it with um, Sean Ariki. 
mm-hmm. who is the main writer for it. They wrote it following uh, their first play. They teased their second play. This was going to be their summer play. So they first performed it August 18th of 2011, and it ran through August 22nd, 2011, seven performances in in its entirety. Okay. And the thing about theatrical plays is once they're done, they're done. So unless they can do something to, like, bring it back, it's basically over. Huh. Well, two years later, in... July of 2013, they teased that their ninth play was going to be occurring very soon. And then it was shortly after that announced that August 2nd through August 11th would be a replay of Ghost in the Box with some new actors and whatnot. A piece had had went through some changes since 2011, but they brought back the play for 10 days. Okay. And that was where director of this film, Shinichiro Uda, Mm -hmm. went and saw it for the first time. So it only was performed a grand total of 17 times since 2011 to 2013, while the the sites say – they suggest that it was this play that was ongoing for three years. That was not the case. Okay. Okay. Um, But unfortunately – Ueda and Wada friends at any point during this? Because it, it, I remember in my reading it was suggested that, or at least it seemed to me, that they were friends prior to a controversy that happened with One Cut of the Dead, and then since then they've kind of, they rekindled their relationship. Yes. So let me... Do you do you want me to explain the background of Ghosts in the Box before yeah. we dive? Okay. Yep. So it was a play that was a two-act play. You had the beginning and the second part. The synopsis that I have here, it's poorly translated, but this is what it says. The first half takes place on the second floor of an abandoned laboratory. So that laboratory, and, and this is explained, it is Nakibako. Nakiboko, Nakibako, Nakibako, which translates to the 8th Chemical Weapons Technology Research Institute of the Imperial Army. Four members of a film club, a researcher, his assistant, a ruined geek, and a novelist gather in this building deep in the mountains that is rumored to have been the site of human experiments in the past, and a series of murders occur there. Just as he, whoever is the murderer, is about to stab one of our characters with a knife. The scene goes dark. The second half of this act takes place on the third floor of this laboratory. Seven people join the cast. These people are the director, the screenwriter, his assistant, assistant the producer, his assistant's girlfriend, his friend from another production, and Hijikata. It's revealed that what we were shown in the first act was a movie shooting scene, mm-hmm. which when you hear that is, is quite literally the, is the plot of, of one cut of the dead right. for your cast of the original version. And I don't have any like who played who I haven't, I haven't been able to locate that. I'm hoping eventually I can, but your cast for Ghost in the Box was 
Keisuke Takahashi, Yuta mm-hmm. Takahashi, Kazuki Abe, Ryuchi Fukushima, Tomoyuki Mende, Suzuki Peko, Hajami Ishii, Satori Fuji, Nakamura Namura, Takashi Ito, Kazuhiro Ishihara, Atsushi Harada, Toru Kusano, Shinasu Sato, Yuta Osutobo, and Ryuchi Wada, who was also the director of this project. Mm. So they were the original people behind this. Okay. And what happened is, so in 2014, they, so when the group was formed in 2011, they made a deal that within three years of the establishment of peace, if they weren't attracting 2,500 people, they were going to disband. If they weren't successful in three years, they weren't going to keep going because at that point they'd be losing money. And that's just what happened. They did not, while from what I can tell, Ghost in the Box was a huge success and all of their plays were huge successes, they weren't getting the attention or the returns they were wanting. Okay. So in 2014, they disbanded. Following that, Shinichiro Udia approached them and wanted to, in 2015, development started between Ryuchi Wada and some of the members of Peace with Udia, and development of a Ghost in the Box movie started. Mm-hmm. Now, by the end of 2015, that fell through. It just was felt, it fell through and, and it wasn't touched for about a year. In 2016, Udia came back and wanted to do the film. He pitched it for a competition, but it lost. And what happened is he took that that initial script and rewrote it. That uh, It wasn't really a script. It was more of a plot. He took the plot and redid it, but he didn't get permission. Now, what was the same from Ghost in the Box to One Cut of the Dead, the structure of the story is the same, the setting is basically the same, and those are the two big aspects. Everything else is pretty much the same, or mm. is different, than the, the what is in the play, besides the obvious fact it's a film crew, right? Right. Now, Udia didn't get permission at all to do this. He didn't get approval whatsoever, which started a problem. And we'll talk about that problem as we continue on with the development of this story. Right. So, following that, there was this thing called The Cinema Project, and it was by ENBU Seminar. It's a summer program for actors and directors who are young and wanting to break in for them to basically go and learn, right? So it's in April and May. So mm-hmm. when the so by the time 2016 20 by the time 2016 rolled around the plot was figured out for this film. The script mm-hmm. was not, and that's where Udia was stuck at. But during the seminar, 
which, like I said, it took place April and May of, I believe it was 2016. Udia was the director, and that's where he found his cast, was through that. Right. I mean, I, and I from what I was reading, they did auditions. The seminar did auditions for like two months, and that's how they found pretty much all the cast. Yes, and that and from there they wrote the script. That's when Udia wrote the script because he wrote the script with the actors in mind. What's funny is the original story was about three adults and a child, and specifically the biggest change was uh, the college M- Mayo, the college student or the director's daughter, mm-hmm. was originally a sixth grader, but the reason yeah. that was changed was no elementary students applied so it just they didn't have the character or the actor or actress for that role so because of that they ended up recast or rewriting it to whatnot and, and stuff like that was what you know would would impact the film mm-hmm. and from there they wrote a script the whole cast agreed to do the film they got some crowdfunding right. and from there, it was basically off to the races. They started filming. On a budget of about 3 million yen, from what I could understand. Right, or two hundred or, or $25,000, which... Roughly. Or, or twenty five, yeah, 25000 roughly, which is actually pretty good. Like, that's a small budget, but um, that's a pretty nice little small budget they have there, which right, I think shows. Film, yeah. Mm-hmm. So... The film, the reason why it was a zombie film specifically was Udia loves zombie movies. Um, in some interviews, he did highlight some of his favorites, which are Night of the Living Dead, The Evil Dead, and The Devil's Sacrifice. I, mean, I, um, I watched an interview with NH, NHK that he did, and that kind of, I think he was actually saying quite the opposite, where he wasn't really a big fan of zombie films. and like people Really? Were, yeah, and people, and he said something about how people are asking him, "Oh, what do you think? What do you think about the zombie movie genre and where it's going to go in like years from now?" And he's like, "I don't care." <laughs> well, so from what I understood, he liked those movies. He highlighted those, but he also like didn't. He wanted to do his own thing. And mm-hmm. but he he brought up how like Shaun of the Dead and Zombieland were two films that kind of broke the seriousness of the zombie right. genre, and kind of was a way to help him do this more comedic film. Um. So I'm I'm at least in the interviews he kind of hyped it up. Maybe in the NHK interview he kind of was a little little more. Mm, negative i'm not sure mm-hmm. i mean it's only a two minute interview the nhk one gotcha gotcha so once they had their cast and the crew which funny enough the crew one of the crew members specifically the uh costumes director was udia's wife and his uh-huh. son actually had a brief appearance in the movie because they needed <laughs> the character um Filming the movie was a challenge. The first 37 minutes mm-hmm. is a single cut and it's right. on camera. Like there's no like 1917 where it's like digitally done. It's right. all raw on the camera. They like went over that and reviewed that for months, mm-hmm. um, 
which what's funny is while doing, so it took them six takes to do it in. Mm-hmm. And by the time they got the final take, the reason the film was done the way it was, was they had shot it and they had, you know, done the walkthroughs enough that some of the events in that were actually stuff that just occurred on accident. So like specifically they brought up how the blood splattering on the camera wasn't Uh planned. So when they wiped (laughs) it off, that was just something like they would have to do in that circumstance. And it just so happened to happen that they did it. They just did it and they went through with it. (laughs) So it's kind of funny that even the little problems throughout the, the film were just, that was all improv. That was just kind of what they had to do to make it work, which is right. exactly what we find out they had to do in the movie. I mean, from what I was reading, they actually got pretty close to doing it right on their second their second take. But like an issue with the cameras basically forced them to do it again. <laughs> right. And it it's it's kind of funny. Um so this is my second time watching the movie. I'm not Same. sure if this is okay. So the first time I watched it, I loved it so much, spoiler alert, that I was like, I'm going to do that. And uh, I had a project for school, and I ended up doing a one-take short horror movie um, that proved to be difficult. We ended up shooting it twice. Um, I didn't really have a lot of time, and and the light, like it got so dark outside that we kind of had to do this um, this certain way. but it was it was kind of fun to to do that, and it is it's extremely difficult to get all of those like the technical aspects of the film done proper. Right, so seeing stuff like this at least is is very cool for me to watch. Mm. But it, going going back here, so following production, the film was released. It started. It was released the 4th of November of 2017 to two screens. It had six showings. Mm-hmm. Following that, it, it appeared at some film festivals and eventually got re-released in Japan and internationally released, um, gaining a lot of critical acclaim. And it had a lot very, of good word of mouth. Yes, that's how it initially spread was through word of mouth, and that helped right. a lot. It ended up making, I want to say it was 125 million dollars at the box office um it was over a thousand that was usd usd it was a thousand it was over a thousand percent profits which Mm -hmm. is really good um there was some like controversy if whether or not udia would would pay the actors because it was crowdfunded and they were like they were basically students right Mm -hmm. um who kind of paid to do it and he later confirmed in an interview that he did in fact pay them um later on but (laughs) what happened is following this ryuchi wada started going public about how the film was not original like it was claiming to be um what's interesting is throughout the interviews that udia had he's only said that a a play inspired him Mm -hmm. he wouldn't name it he wouldn't say who made it he would just say Mm -hmm. a play Mm -hmm. and the beginning of this was the producers on one cut of the dead 
labeled the stage play as a, quote, original draft, not, quote, an original work, which there's a difference between the two. An original draft is like this original idea that it's like this is the mock-up. This is like the first idea. Uh So when you label it as that, it no longer becomes something that is an original work. You don't have to cite your source. But when it's labeled as the original work, that means this is what it's based on. This is what came before it. It is its own thing. We're taking from that, so it must be credited as such. Uh And that was where the the copyright issue that you brought up earlier began. Mm -hmm. So in 2018, following the release of the film, a lawsuit began – with WADA basically planning on suing the producers and the director for One Cut of the Dead. There were mm-hmm. some there were some uh, lawyers involved and they were they were doing all the critical stuff. And within a year later, roughly, it was announced that they came to a resolution. Mm-hmm. So in the film they added a new credit, which was citing Ryuchi Wada as co-writing the film. Mm-hmm. with Shin, Shinichiro Udia. It also credited Shun Areki and Yuta Otsubo of the Peace Theater Group in mm-hmm. the film. So they ended up getting their proper credits, and I'm sure there was an undisclosed amount of money given to them for royalties for the film. Um, funny enough, th- following that, they had quotes from Wada, Udia, and the producer, which the producer's name was uh, Koji Ichihashi. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because Wada is like, I'm sorry for making everybody upset, but I wanted to get – I wanted the credit that I wanted, and I'm happy that we came to a conclusion. Mm-hmm. Ichihashi's is – we're happy that we came to a conclusion between the two groups, and we can make everybody happy, and it's great. And Udia's is basically like, I didn't realize that this was taking from it, but I guess it is, so we're happy to put the credits <laughs> down. Damn. What's funny is this this is a love letter to filmmaking this movie is, but Udia's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, the, the research I did behind this basically made me not respect him as a filmmaker, Damn. but I respect the work. Because, I mean, he stole and he like argued to the very point of agreeing to them and still saying, I didn't think this was plagiarism, Mm -hmm. but I guess we'll do it. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, like, that's not, I mean, and and to go like based off that NHK interview, if he's like, yeah, zombie movies are stupid, like. That just adds a little more. I'm not I'm not a huge <laughs> fan of him as a filmmaker. He seems kind of I don't know. Or a, a amateur amateur mistakes, I guess you could say. <laughs> oh, I also forgot to mention that in the credits it it cited the original work as Ghost in the Box in the new credits as well, which Oh good. In the so if you watch the subtitled version, which is on Shutter or on Blu-ray and DVD, uh, now out of print, but if you own it, uh, you can you can look at the the subtitles at least here in the states. In in the UK, I think the third window films Blu-ray is still available. 
But if you look at the, what's funny is, so you have your main actors that are subtitled, like they translated the subtitles and put those, they subtitled the director and they subtitled the writer in like the original idea by Ryuchi Wada original work ghost in the box by peace theater group all of that was subtitled nothing else was i was like wow i wonder if that was like a contractual obligation that that had to be subtitled (laughs) in the foreign releases to clarify ownership of where the prod where the idea came from Mm -hmm. so i mean honestly i almost feel like the development of this movie is more interesting than 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 the actual movie at some points, <laughs> like it's crazy. So almost sounds like as much of a wild, chaotic mess as the the actual production in the film itself. <laughs> yeah, and uh, but moving moving on here to the the fallout also from this so in 2018 there was actually a somebody else did a performance of ghosts in the box so there's three performances uh 2018 okay um this was so there's three performances of the original play the 2011 one the 2013 one and a 2018 one by a completely different set of people new cast new crew new everything and it was filmed and it was set to be released on DVD. We actually have the DVD cover art. But because of all the copyright problems with One Cut of the Dead, Wada requested it be pulled and canceled. So it never got released, which sucks. Ah. I would love to see that. I'd love to see this performance. Mm. So now it's just lost media, essentially? It's Yeah, now it's lost media. I I would love to see if maybe it could get distributed in the future. Um, oh, now isn't that today seems... a time for lost media? <laughs> yeah. So that's really all I've got for the production. Um, I do know Wada enjoyed One Cut of the Dead and thinks very highly of it. He oh, just that's good really, He wanted to get the credit that credit, like credit where credits do, right? Like, Which is pretty wanted... fair, all things considered. Yeah. Because it's a quite... Quite an original, like, story, like, premise and structure, all things considered. It's not something that I'd seen prior to watching One Cut of the Dead. Right. I know there's some, there's a movie that a lot of people, I listened to some podcasts about this movie just, just to see what, what I could find. Right. Um, unfortunately, nobody seems to want to dive into this movie. Um, Certainly not to the extent I have, apparently. <laughs> um, but a lot of people cited there's an American movie with Ben Affleck, I think, um, that's about like making it's a you watch a play and you well, you watch a movie about making a play and then you see the play. OK, um, it's been adapted well, into an actual the stage. Opposite um, structure. Yes. Yes. Where you see the movie and then you watch how the movie's made, then you watch the movie being made, and then you watch the movie being made in the movie, shooting the movie. So I feel like I've kind of ex- like just vomited all of this. So Rex, I'm going to let you take the floor here for a bit if you want to bring up anything, and then we could, we could move on to the, the film. 
Well, there's not particularly anything major I want to bring up before um, the before we actually talk about the film itself. But I thought it, I, I was really surprised um, the reach of the film because I was looking into like, you know, the film did very well and spread largely through word of mouth. But I actually found a lot of like pretty like famous actors and a lot of people that you and I were familiar with, you know, um, talked quite highly about this film. Like the word of mouth was spread by, by say Japanese actors, Koji Yakusho, Takami Saito, Takia Kimura, whom uh, ex- with the exception of Koji Yakusho, I Saito and Kimura, we've definitely talked about before in like Shin Ultraman mm-hmm. and Space Battleship Yamato. And then also mm-hmm. Japanese comedian Beat Takeshi and Attack on Titan creator Hajime Isayama. But then even like internationally, uh, James Gunn, head of DC, Edgar mm-hmm. Wright, of creator, director of Shaun of the Dead, and even Stephen King, a legend of horror essentially, have all apparently endorsed the film. I know James Gunn and Edgar Wright wrote about it on their Twitters. Right. And no, this this movie has been very well received. I think it was it ended up being like the eighth highest grossing film in Japan, if I remember correctly, I for the year. I think it was seventh. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it was top ten. Right. It was top yeah. ten, which Which is very a, impressive for an indie film. Right. I know they ended up having to work out like the two companies that produced it, the uh which was um ENBU and Pico Poco TV or something like that. That was kind of the name, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um they ended up having to work out a deal with Toho to get it in Toho Cinemas, and they did. <laughs> um it got released to Toho Cinemas. The uh the whole cast ended up showing for the premiere. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did like a and a after and whatnot. There's some photos out there of them all together. Oh, that's nice. Um, like this is amazing. Like this movie did exceptionally well. This, this was the dream for all indie movies. Right. I mean, all they were hoping for originally was just like, like I think it was the producer was hoping for about 5,000 admissions because then it would break even. Mm-hmm. And it far, far out, out exceeded that. Mm-hmm. And now, like it's streaming with English subtitles or dub on Shutter. Right. It's been released to Blu-ray and DVD and in a lot of English-speaking uh, locations. It's right. It's, it's got a it, French remake. It's got a French remake. It had an American U.S. theatrical release. There's possibly an English remake in the works. I think, or at least yes, was there's. There's been talks of an English remake, to my understanding. And I was also hearing rumors. I don't know if anything actually went through with this, but there was rumors of like a Chinese or Hong Kong remake that was unauthorized, potentially being in the works. I didn't know that there was a uh, Chinese or Hong Kong unauthorized remake. I don't know if they were actually made, but there were definitely rumors of them. Gotcha. Okay. And when it comes, I think, so there is a Hollywood spinoff. I don't think there was an actual American one made, it looks like. All I'm seeing is the French one. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but from the what French I ones... there was like an American producer who was like looking to 
make an American remake because he's like, this is a brilliant film. It's such a unique thing that audiences have never seen before. Yeah, you're so pa- Patrick Cunningham uh, was the one who wanted to do a uh, remake, mm-hmm. and it looks like the way he went about it. His company plans an English language remake that would shoot in the U.S. on a budget he describes as fairly small. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, it does sound like there is plans or desires to make an American remake, um, but nothing has come of it yet. Right. And um, who knows if anything ever will. <laughs> right, right. I mean, personally, I, I'm i fine if it just stays in production hell. Uh, I'm good. I am too. <laughs> I, we, do, we do have the French one, and there was two spinoffs from the original makers of this one. Right. So I feel like there's plenty of one cut of the dead stuff already. Right, yeah. And I mean, I hear the French remake is pretty, um, pretty like, one-to-one almost with the film, essentially. I know Final Cut just recently got released by Kino Lorbor in the States, so I'm going to have to check it out. Mm-hmm. See, I'd still be interested to see I, how it... Uh, yeah, I'm certainly interested in seeing how it adapts the film. Oh, damn, apparently there's even like one act, one of the actresses carried over. Hmm. But do you think we should move on to the film itself? I think we can, yeah. Alrighty. So, One Cut of the Dead begins like... In the middle of a B-movie-esque scene, well, yeah, just a B-movie scene of a girl with an axe fending off against her zombie boyfriend and eventually, unfortunately, getting killed. And this is where we get kind of a a twist, right? Yes. This is where we hear cut. Cut. And then we find out that this is actually a film set with the crew, you know, filming a scene for their zombie movie. Our director goes very uh, Stanley Kubrick, let's say, verbally berating the actress um, for her poor acting and not expressing en- enough fear, and even even beating around the, the the zombie in this in his shoot. And then everyone goes yeah. on break to right, relieve which the tension. First- I do want to say I love the whole movie and movie aspect. I think that's a really cool idea. And I honestly, right off the bat, I think it's very clear what our, who our characters are. Mm-hmm. And they never break that. Even later on, those characters kind of don't get lost, which I love. I love the fact that they stay pretty consistent throughout. Right. <laughs> and I mean, even from this beginning bit, we're sort of setting up for some things that'll pay up or pay off, sorry, later in the film with, like, yes. the director's little rant at both actors, especially when he just slaps the male actor. <laughs> right. Yeah, and that's one thing that this movie does really well is set up mm-hmm. and pay off. Right. Um, I mean, the first, like, not only is the first 37 minutes of this film essentially its own, its own sort of, like, one-cut short film, uh, it's also just setting up for so many jokes that will pay off in the last 30 minutes yes. of the film. 
I it it is it is. Um, it's a film that very much rewards your patience. It does, and what's so. I'm going to kind of, I'll bring up here kind of what I've heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really want to touch on this anymore after this from the podcast. I, I ended up listening to four podcasts today on this movie. <laughs> and some of the hosts on these podcasts said like this, the first 37 minutes of this movie are awful. I hate it. And I hate the fact that I had to wait 40 minutes to get to the actual good part which I thought was just redundant and stupid and missed the whole point. Right. Um, and then one person, one of the hosts... I mean, that's kind of missing the brilliance of this first 40 it minutes. <laughs> it is. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. One of the hosts of one of these podcasts did say that this is easily the most ambitious movie because it has to start off as a bad movie to become a great movie. Mm-hmm. Which I guess I'm just more acquainted with low budget Z grade films because honestly I didn't think it uh, honestly so like it's obviously this first 37 minutes is a low budget production right, right. it's obvious I didn't hate that though no I I don't think like I mean the worst the quote unquote worst parts of it are very much intentional and they're setting up for later so like i i can get not being sold on it at first but i feel like once you have once you have that context you know it's intentional and like it's justified in the film because it pays off very well later right so i i just i don't understand the criticisms with this movie right (laughs) I, I I get it on, like, the perspective of, like, your first watch, I guess. I can understand it. But while like... your first, while you're watching. Right, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. But once you're done watching, like you said. Because <laughs> the film just, because pretty much every single, like, quote-unquote mistake here pays off later on. Right. And and that really so those mistakes start to shine through. So after they call break, uh, our two characters walk up the stairs and when they get to the top, they meet with I think she's technically the assistant director mm-hmm. in the in the on the crew. Our uh it, the director's wife. Oh. I think she's technically the assistant director. I mean, she's one of the main actors in their their film, I guess. I mean, his daughter basically becomes the assistant director. But, but remember, I don't think she... So, I mean, oh, oh, you mean in like the movie in the movie? Okay. Yes, yes, okay, in the movie sorry. in the movie. Okay, I, movie, I wasn't entirely sure on what you meant. <laughs> yeah, in, in the movie, the movie. <laughs> in the One Cut of the Dead movie, movie. Um, I think she plays the assistant director. Okay. And so we go up the stairs and, and we have our two lead actors mm-hmm. talking with her about the production. Right. Yeah, and that's where she brings up like a rumor about like how the building they're in used to be like it was the its front was a water 
like a water filtration filtration place or something like that. But in actuality, it was used for it was used by the government for human experiments to bring people back from the dead. She tries to continue, but then suddenly they hear a loud banging noise from a door off to their side. Which, at this moment, there begins to be some awkward pauses. Which... Right, very drawn-out pauses. <laughs> and, and at some points, it almost feels like they're kind of lingering, like they're waiting. Like, what, what is, what's going on? Um, I will say there's a cool little thing here that one of the stagehands says, the director requested all the blood on the, on the rooftop. Mm-hmm. Which is a great setup. I love <laughs> that setup. Right. Um, for the end of the movie, specifically. The movie, the movie. Not the actual movie, but the movie, the movie. Um, and during these awkward pauses, some just back and forth banter happens, right? Yeah. With them, like, they try to lighten up the mood and, you know, the, I guess, assistant director lady... Miss Now, I think her name was, she just, they start talking about hobbies and she's like showing off her self, like her self-defense uh, skills that she'd been learning. Right. And, and following that, I believe it was, wasn't it one of the cameramen? Um, it's, it's like the boom mic operator. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Cause we, we end up going outside, right? Yeah. Where the boom mic, mic operator's like just chilling and he's about to smoke a cigarette. Yeah. When when a zombie shows up mm-hmm. and attacks the the other guy named Kashihara, who ends up vomiting on on Kashihara <laughs> and and freaks him out. Um, <laughs> Very awkwardly camera- stumbling around. This zombie is, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's almost like. It's like, almost like he's being propped up by someone. Yeah. Um, and following this, the camera follows them a bit and then goes back in to the warehouse. Yeah, as Kashihara's arm is thrown in. <laughs> and everybody's like, what's going on? Like, what's what's happening? Yeah. And then Kashihara basically is thrown in, missing an arm. And they think it's all like a setup. Right, just a little prank. But it's not. Mm-hmm. The zombie comes in, tries attacking them. <laughs> Meanwhile, the boom mic operator is just sitting down very awkwardly, not having the time of his life. <laughs> and eventually, and then they, they fight off the zombie with his boom mic. <laughs> <laughs> and then they shut the door, and, and the zombie, you know, tries to go back in, but it can't. This is when they find out that. The person is dead. They are dead. They're no longer living. Yes, and, and he turns into a zombie. And then he turns into a zombie and chases after all of them with whoever's holding his arm, which is yeah. hilarious. <laughs> they just keep throwing it around until until they throw it outside and he just goes after it. <laughs> this movie might be one of the funniest films we've covered. I, I think it might. I, I might take the cake for funniest movie. Mm. Coming from a person like me who's not really a big fan of comedy movies, I, I definitely had a I've had a good time both times I've watched this film. I, I think Likewise. this is genuinely a really funny and clever movie. I agree. I wholeheartedly agree with that. 
<laughs> and so following this scene, don't we get the director coming back? Yes, yes. Which so our I... camera pans back and we reveal the director is filming this whole thing. Which, so if I am remembering correctly, this movie does that a total of three times. Actually, no, it's four. Yeah, it's, it's four. like four times. But it's hilarious every, every single, single time. It's just like I love him. Trump. I love it. And he <laughs> like the actor who's playing the director has such a good charisma as this character. Right. It's almost like it's his job. Wink, mm. wink, 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 mm-hmm. wink. Um He's getting I really into it. it. <laughs> and I, I just I love it. Like it's so funny. I love how he's just watching and waiting to come rushing in and saying, action! <laughs> yeah! Woo! He, just, he just wants to film his masterpiece, man. He does. Um, he, he and he sabotages. The, the, the zombining. What, what, would you call, <laughs> what would you call a Shining parody that's just all about zombie apocalypse? The zombifying. That sounded even worse than zombining. The zomboyant? What? Zombie sleep? Um, hmm. Hmm. One cut of The Shining? One cut of The Shining. There we go. Because <laughs> it's one sliver of The Shining. It's one cut. Ah, right, right. Ah, it's, it's clever. <laughs> it's clever. And what's funny is the director, like is sabotaging the whole time because he opens the door or no first he's they're like what's going on and and he's like a year ago today i was frantically writing this script and it came to me so i summoned the zombies yeah i sprinkled the blood on the roof (laughs) and we're gonna get a zombie movie and this is where the boom mic operator suddenly Starts trying to get out of here. He's getting a little. <laughs> he's getting a little urge, you could say. Uh, a little. He's not feeling the greatest. He's like the director's like, "Where are you going?" He's like, "Just, just, just a minute, just a minute." It's like, "What? Just what?" And he just Which... runs outside. <laughs> and everybody's like, "No, don't go. You, you might die." And then we hear screaming, and everybody's freaking out. Right. And they close the door and, you know, just deliberate a little bit. You could almost you could almost say they might be stalling, perhaps. Right, because our our Miss Mao, I believe is her name, mm-hmm. she ends up uh asking the same question that was already asked once and, and I love the fact that like in this the actress who's playing our main character is like, Miss Mao, he already asked that and she's like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> Like there's there's some really inten like unintentional funny moments in this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know that that might be intentional. <laughs> well, so it's funny you bring that up because here's a little bit another little tidbit uh, of info about the production. Because it was all one shot, there were moments where they didn't know exactly what they were going to do, which led to like there were moments like where they had to improv because they had to go off script. So there's <laughs> actual moments in this movie where they're just improving on the spot. 
But because it's so cleverly written, you can't tell what is improv and what isn't. Like what was actually on the script <laughs> and what was. It's it's a genius idea. It's a genius idea. <laughs> that's that's actually interesting. I'm actually really curious on which parts uh, were the real improv. <laughs> Likewise, but I, I don't think you, Udia would ever reveal what Probably was... Probably like, not. Like, I feel like that might ruin the the magic. Right. <laughs> Speaking of the magic, Rex, where, where do we go following this? Um, well, from here, they hear another... a, a banging from an, on doors on the other side of the building where someone is just desperately trying to get in the boom mic operator from before and you know um they let him in but he but they're holding they're on their guard they you know now's got her axe i'm are you sure it's the boom mic because i'm pretty sure the director follows the broom mic operator well we haven't revealed that yet they opened the door to find the directors holding up the boom mic operator who's now turned into a zombie Right, because he went chasing <laughs> after him following the stalling scene, mm. and then he bangs on the door and it says, like, let me in, let me in. And then it's revealed that he has a zombie with him. <laughs> Which he once again is a chaos god because he throws the zombie at our main actress and is like, yes, this is how you should feel. Look at this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and this is a real face out. of fear. <laughs> and he's like perfect this is perfect this is a great shot which i can relate to him i feel like <laughs> i would do the same thing i feel like i might be that what, crazy you would, you would do this in the zombie apocalypse i might you, you would I summon might. the zombies Maybe. just to get a better performance out of your actors absolutely oh great you i think you I, I don't think that's the i don't think that's the the message the film's trying to spread to you. You're not supposed to be inspired in that way. Man, I was inspired in all ways. <sighs> well, at least if you become the new Stanley Kubrick, your movies might be good. Thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. Keyword being might. <laughs> Damn, okay. <laughs> so, during this whole scuffle... It ends with Mao cutting the head off of the zombie and yes. some blood splatters onto the camera, right? And yeah. then they they figure out, let's get into the car, let's go, right? And as they're running out to the car, the blood's still on the camera lens and we see somebody <laughs> wipe it off. Yep. <laughs> so in the initial viewing, you're like, is this sound footage? Like, how how is this camera... How how does this camera exist? Because even the director at one point during the first his first uh run in with our three main characters right. looks at the camera and says, Keep the camera rolling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he literally drops the title of a movie. <laughs> which which makes me wonder like like it on my first viewing, like what's like is this found footage? Why is this why are the zombies not attacking the cameraman? Like right. What's going on here? It's kind of, it's, it's uncanny in its presentation, mm-hmm. which is brilliant because you can tell something's off about it, but you also are like, maybe this is just a cheaply made production. 
Right. Maybe this is actually just awful and there's no secret at all to it. Right, which honestly, that was my initial thought when I watched this movie. Mm -hmm. And that's what the film kind of wants you to think. Yes. Even the director says, don't watch the trailer, don't read the synopsis, just go watch the movie. Right. Um... So the, our characters run out to the car. They find out that the keys are with one of the zombies. Mm-hmm. Who conveniently is banging on their car door. And then the director, once comes again... Comes from the office, opposite door, and he's like, action! And then he opens the door to throw her... <laughs> she, I'm pretty sure he actually grabs her and throws her out the door. <laughs> and the zombie starts chasing her, and our, our camera follows. But then it falls to the ground, and it's yeah. just there. He runs into the girl, and then, yeah, just gets completely knocked over. And it just sits there. And at first you think, oh, this is kind of a cool shot. Right. But, but, then, then, but then the girl fights off the zombie and leaves the shot. And it's just stuck there, and it's like, wait a minute. It's like, what's going on? Like, And then someone else, someone picks up the camera. And then it suddenly becomes way more active. Like, it it starts getting, like, very, very, there's a lot of zooms as they run through the field. There's a lot of back and forth. There's some shaky cam. It's like, what's right. going on? It's like, almost like someone slightly less experienced with the camera is using it. Right. And at this moment, this was where I was like, whoa, the, the location they're at is beautiful. Like, it's very mm-hmm. detailed. I love the setting. It's all staged very well. Mm-hmm. Um, you also see both the the actress and the, camera, and the camera operator just both fall over while running through this field. <laughs> right, right. And eventually she goes down into this little, like cellar looking thing something like that (laughs) something like that yeah yeah still being chased by the zombie and then when she gets to the end there's another zombie the one from earlier (laughs) the original zombie who's finally active he's kind of he's like actually moving like a human being albeit a very both are very 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 exaggerated zombies (laughs) yes yes which eventually doesn't she just run back to the car now? No, first she she gets she seemingly is about to die, but then her boyfriend comes back and saves her. And then they run back to like well not the car, but into like the the building they were originally in. Right, right. And so when they run into the building, you have Miss Mal, the boyfriend and her all in the in there, kind of where they started, and she's holding, and she's been limping this whole time, mm-hmm. and she's got this mark on her on her leg, and Miss yeah, Mouse like, did spot. you get spot? Yeah, <laughs> and Miss Mouse like, did you get bit? And she's like, I don't know, maybe I don't know. And then she gra- Miss Mouse grabs the axe, and is like, we better make sure we better. Mm-hmm. It's just for precaution. I'm calm. I'm calm. I'm very calm. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and she goes insane and tries to murder this woman. Yeah. Um. So what's <laughs> funny is, so as she's running away, the boyfriend like grabs her and is holding her, 
And in the background, she does the pal thing that she said. Oh, the, yeah. <laughs> which I love that. I love that little detail in the background. All right. I love I love how, like, even, even before, like, this first sequence ends, there's just, like, these little things that are happening, these little, like, subversions. Like, you've got the movie within the movie at the, in, like, the first, very first scene. You've got the wild the insane director and you've just got the little payoff of the palm gag just mm-hmm. the first payoff with it i should say right so it's you've still got these little things that are keeping you interested in this where instead of like you just having to sit through like just a generic terrible like z-grade zombie movie it's a bit more than just that right and i think something else that helps that is one of the biggest problems with zombie movies is they're naturally slow. Mm-hmm. They're very slow burning movies because the zombies don't move very fast. Mm-hmm. It's hard to keep them interesting because they're just walking corpses, right? Like Right. The the most the best part of Night of the Living Dead is the ending where the zombies start tearing into the house. Mm-hmm. And some of the most like especially in the modern day, you've seen sort of a shift in a lot of zombie a lot of big zombie movies where, you know, zombies start running a lot more, like Train to Busan or um, Zack Snyder's like Dawn of the Dead remake, for example. Right. And that's I think a lot of that's just because like zombies are not a very antagonizing monster. They're not like they used to be. No. Right. So like. And in and, and this, they're very traditional zombies. So how do you make that interesting for a 37-minute long single-take film? Which I might add doesn't feel like 37 minutes, and it's all because no. <laughs> the camera's never not moving. Mm-hmm. There is no fixed shot in this movie. Mm-hmm. Any sound, any motion, there is a camera reaction. The only fixed moment is when, like, the during, like, when the director pushes her out the car and the cameraman bumps into the main actress and it just falls, that's it. Right. That's the only fixed moment. And besides that, and following that, they know that they've had a fixed moment. So then they get even more crazy and more action packed with the camera motions, with the zooming and the, and the, and the shaky cam. And it just keeps you like visually, like trying to keep up. Mm-hmm. Which is genius because it keeps it interesting. It doesn't make it a boring Z-grade zombie movie that you see a lot of times. Right. So during the whole chase sequence, Miss Mal like karate kicks all the other zombies and is like out to (laughs) And even the director. Even the director. The director's like, action! And then (laughs) he just kicks. And then he disappears. So we, we continue following our our main actress as she gets to the rooftop, where she seemingly is stuck, and Miss Mao's up there. Mm-hmm. But her boyfriend comes to save the day again. <laughs> but then we get another... So we don't get a payoff yet. Well, we get a little bit of a payoff. She grabs his arm and twists it like he, she's going to break it. And that was set up earlier during the whole self-defense training when they're following their like break on filming. Mm-hmm. I mean, that also gets another sort of payoff when she just keeps going, pom, pom. <laughs> right, right. 
but the camera is only showing our lead actress just lingering on her for a while. Almost right, like some after... stuff's happening behind the camera. And there's a lot of screaming and whatnot, and it's like, okay, so mm-hmm. this is another And the screaming moment. seems to be happening in weird directions as well. Right, and it's it's like, okay, what's going on? What's happening? And eventually, after like a solid 45 seconds, we're back, and the boyfriend has killed Miss Now with an axe to the head. But for some reason... Our main actress, she decides to run away, away, which is a little odd. Um, She goes down and eventually finds a little shed to sit in, Mm -hmm. um, which the shed has a pentagram on it, which is kind (laughs) of like, oh, what's going on? So while she's in this shed, she finds out that the scratch was actually just makeup. Right. (laughs) And then she sees something off camera and, like, hides. And then we just see these legs. And then they walk away. And, like, her reaction is, like, really intense. And we're like, what's what's this? What's going on? Well, I mean, it's clearly meant to be a zombie. Right, but, like, what? what which zombie? Like, where does, where's this one from? Is this something, like, because no other zombie has looked like this. What is, what's going on here? Um... So as she exits the building, she finds an axe and says, oh, an axe. Lucky me. Hmm. And at this point, I was like, is this just a comedy? Like, upon my (laughs) initial viewing, it's like, is this just supposed to be a joke? Um, (laughs) I was so confused. So she walks back up, right? Yeah. Yeah, she goes back up to meet with her boyfriend again, and he's now a zombie. And then... The director, so the zombie starts approaching her, and it's a mirror of the beginning of the film where right. he'll stop and then he'll go and then he'll stop and then he'll go. And eventually she's like, I love you. And then boom, axe goes flying and his head is seemingly chopped off. It's hilarious how many times they they stop to go, I love you <laughs> during this. It is, it is. (laughs) And it pays off amazingly later. It does. And then the director suddenly appears once more. Mm -hmm. He's like, why did you kill my actor? And then she chases him with an axe and kills him. And then, yeah, so she... Which honestly fair after his Stanley Kubrick-esque behavior. And I loved it. It was so funny. It was like, yes, this is how this movie should end. Um, so after this, like the way the color grading is, she looks soulless in her eyes, which is like, whoa, what's going on? Even the music's changed. Mm-hmm. And then we just get this tracking shot of her walking. And then suddenly the camera begins to rise with her turning and facing the camera. And as the camera continues to rise, we find out she's standing in the middle of a pentagram. And this is where the title s- sequence happens. And then the credits roll. So upon my initial viewing, I was like, is this it? Like, what? <laughs> what What's so okay. special about this? What's so special? And then at the end, it's, we hear another cut. And then the camera starts to move. And at this point, the camera, the, the film has also changed to kind of being like on a TV screen. Mm-hmm. 
which then we cut to an actual movie shot with the label of one month later. Or one month before. Yes, yes, one month before. And that's where we see our director um, directing a scene in a completely different movie with one of with an actor who would go on to be a zombie in the the one cut of that dead movie in the movie. Right. And I guess also the real movie by extension. Yeah. <laughs> it's one way to phrase it. <laughs> so following the advertisement shooting, he's met with the with two producers. And they they ask him to do this movie for their zombie channel that they're opening. It's a zombie movie that is one take and it's live on television. And he is supposed to deliver an average product. And he accepts it. And that's where we get our title card. Yeah, which is pretty... It's, it's So it's kind of shot in the way of like a retro film with the flickering and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And the the soundtrack's pretty decent, all things considered, I think, especially for this opening. It's like really, really intense, and I love it. Right. Which I love. Like, this was a pleasant surprise upon my initial viewing. Like, the first part's the movie, and the second part's the making of the movie. Just, like, I love that. Like, that's... Right. <laughs> that premise is so interesting, and I love that. And then the next thing we cut to is self-defense for women, where the part where the woman who plays now in the final f- final film is learning her little palm technique. <laughs> and this is this is where the payoff it's paid off earlier, right? This was established, and now we get the payoff for in the background for that. And things are slowly starting to come together, which is a very nice surprise. Right. We also learn that he is actually, or that she, sorry, is actually the our director's wife, and they have a daughter named Mao. Who, then we cut to Mao, if I remember correctly, on a film yes. set. Where she's just a... a Perfectionist. Like a, 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 a production assistant, which... She's trying to get this child to cry actual tears. And, like, the mother's like, you know, we were told that it can just be teardrops. Like, we don't have to do the whole, like, the whole crying thing. And, like, she, like, breaks contract and, like, tells them to do something they're not supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And then the director and I think it's probably the producers, like, hold on a minute, wait up. And then right. she calls the mother an old hag. Yeah. And like, there's a whole problem, which, because she's like, this is art. Like, we need to be doing things on the camera, not fake. And I'm, I kind of relate to Mal. I'm like, yeah, put it <laughs> on the camera. Don't, don't do the put in post or anything like that. Like, make it real. And so now they have to like try and keep the mother and daughter from like walking off set. And they end up kicking Mao off as her father comes up and they they have a little exchange. And the father apologizes to the director and, and then they go on their way back to home where they are watching the director's advertisements. Mm-hmm. I mean, the daughter kind of storms off on her own first, though. This is true. She does. She does. Which is where we're sort of establishing that 
their relationship is a little, I guess, strained. It's not like a terrible relationship compared to a lot of it's just other movies. Right. So while they're at home and they're watching their dad's show, she asks to change the program to this interview with this actor. And she's like daydreaming about this actor where he reveals he's going to be in a horror movie. And it just so happens that movie is what her dad's working on, One Cut of the Dead. Yeah. And from here we transition into sort of the cast and crew's like first meeting. I I don't know exactly what the correct term for this. It's like where... Is it like the first script reading? Is that what it's called? It would be the first script read. Yes. Okay. Where, yeah. where you meet your cast and your crew and you read through the scripts, which right, right off the bat, there's problems. Some people aren't reading emails. Um, there's scheduling conflicts with outside parties. A woman people... brings her baby in to the room. And there's just a whole thing and it's it becomes problematic. But right. the director's the director just has to go through it. He ends up having to call like a five minute break to like calm it down. And um, there's even discussions on like how's how does the script work? My agency won't let me do certain things. Like, right. And there's just a whole slew of problems following this. Mm-hmm. But then we we're kind of so at this moment they start kind of fast forwarding through a lot of production, and I mean we get little snips snippets of them like working on it, but they really fast track us to the day of, if mm. I remember correctly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we see a bit. This it. This is mostly just kind of like between like this first meeting and like the day of. It's just kind of set up first some more gags later like we find out one of the actors mr hasoda is an out al- is a very a very Just much raging an alcoholic, alcoholic <laughs> who gets drunk all the time and that's why his his wife left him his, his wife left him and his daughter hates him yeah <laughs> one of our actors has a diarrhea problem if he doesn't drink the right water right or not um, even one of the actors. He's just like the boom mic operator. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, and then we have... I'm trying the to remember camera, what else. The cameraman has like a bad back. So he doesn't know if he'll be able to make it through the whole shoot. Um, One all of your while, actors... All the while the director's wife has been reading the script again and again and again at home. Which we then find out that she was an actress at one point, but she quit mm-hmm. and she hasn't done anything besides her hobbies, which is self self-defense and reading a bunch of other husband's. things. <laughs> yeah. And reading her husband's scripts. Right. And so as, as we continue, we get a little bit development on the whole like strain with the director and his daughter and their like strained relationship and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And we then get some we, rehearsals, some rehearsals, them the working on getting every movement down. Mm-hmm. The main male actor being a bit of an a-hole. 
and arguing with the director on how things should be. Right. And honestly, at this point, I was like, man, honestly, watching this movie is better than the actual movie they're making. (laughs) But I love that. Like, I, so I love film. So being able to watch a movie and then watch how it was made, to me, is just as rewarding, if not more, than watching the actual film. Right. What's funny is after this movie, I ended up – I went out and I bought teardrops to use for <laughs> actors. And I uh, – this is – I'm jumping ahead a little bit. But I bought like this weed sprayer for like my blood sprayer. But I watched – while watching it on the second viewing, I noticed that the way they did the blood spray is they had a stagehand with like this tube – that would suck up some of the blood and then spray it. Like he would, mm-hmm. they would suck it and then blow it. Right. And I'm like, man, I need to do one of those. I'd love to do that. And that's kind of ingenious. Like I would think you would need an actual sprayer. Like there's actual sprayers you can purchase that they use for spraying blood and whatnot. But no, they're like, they have this little like vinyl tube and they're just using that with one person that's spraying the, the blood, which right. is a really good idea. Definitely better than my my weed sprayer idea that doesn't work that well. <laughs> I mean, hey um, man, you gotta you just gotta be inventive with Flim when you have no budget. This is you you have to you absolutely do. Um, so now we we basically move up to the day of production, right? About six hours prior, right. Where the first problem happens, and that's the actor who's supposed to play the director and the actress who's supposed to play the assistant director are having an affair. They get caught up in a car accident as well. They get caught up in a car accident and they were having an affair. Mm -hmm. And they end up having to cut them from the film. And they're like, well, what do we do? Like, we, we need these roles filled. And that's where our actual director takes the job of the actor for the director. And Miss Miss Mao ends up taking the role as the assistant actress or the assistant director. And this is where we find out that, well, not here, but it's it's a little I'll, – I'll bring it up later on, the funny thing about Miss Mao being an actress. Um uh, and that's and this is where we get our final cast and crew, mm-hmm. and basically it's go time. They're setting everything up, right? And also earlier there were a bit more set up with like the the um, the boom operator drink accidentally drinking uh, the wrong water, not his personal like private water bottle, and then also somewhat. Like one of the crew members bringing in some sake for the cast and crew to celebrate the like the day before, and you know the the raging alcoholic kind of having his eye caught by that, you could say. Right, and <laughs> then uh, so after this, they they start setting up. Right, they're they're getting ready to film. Mm-hmm. And we get the movie again at a different angle, which I think is great. Um, the like setup to them actually starting filming is kind of exciting, um, even doing the countdown and whatnot and, and going. So 
at this moment, we we see the events that we saw for the first 37 minutes. We watch that all over again. Right. Except this time, all of our an- our questions are answered. <laughs> um, the boom operator had diarrhea. Right. <laughs> and so we get a scene dedicated to him just being so confused as to where to where to go, eventually going outside, being caught by a crew member and screaming. <laughs> going to a corner to take a dump and the crew just figuring out what to do with him, eventually deciding to make him a zombie and putting on the makeup while he's taking a dump. <laughs> and even before that we have our main zombie which he's drunk oh, and right. so the actual dire- the director has to like be his like use him as a puppet and his vomits real vomit they end up because of the problems that have already ensued they have some delays so they tell the three main actors to uh, stall and right. so we get the stalling during this, it's intercut with like the the technical crew, like doing sound and whatnot. Um, and during this, the daughter brings up how her mom was a great actor. The question it's said that her mom's a great actress, and she says she quit because she at one point almost broke and she broke an actor's arm and, and got had to quit on after that or something like that. <laughs> yeah, because she's so extreme with her roles. Um, which that's funny because we'll bring it up here in a little bit. Um, so then they're basically like having to find a way to keep going through the script to get to the end of the movie. Right. Um, the director, the reason he says, keep the camera rolling is because he realizes they've gone off the, (laughs) off the script very quickly, but he doesn't want them to pull it. So he's, he has to come up with a clever way to like get them, to not pull it off the air because at one point the producers are saying, let's put up the title card and just move on. There's, if I remember correctly. So the next problem, um, I mean, the guy who's drunk, they're trying to get him to, to follow through. Um, There's a whole bit with the boom mic operator and doing his makeup, turning him into a zombie. (laughs) um, Once, once they get into the car, they, you know, they're trying to find a way to get, they try to find a way to move on past that scene where the director comes in and opens the car door and pushes her out. She hits the camera operator who falls and is seemingly unable to get up. So then we see that the assistant camera operator grabs the camera and that's why it starts getting all zoom in and out and, and shaky. Um, and then we she we falls over, but our zombie actor helps her back up, <laughs> and it continues to like follow through this. Um, I'm trying to remember what the next problem was. What was Rex? I mean, well, it's intercut while she's running away. It's intercut with um, the like the main male actor um, whom the director had previously slapped, which is in the sequence revealed to have been completely off script and likely just because he was completely fed up with said actor. <laughs> and so he's like, what the hell? Even my dad never dared to hit me. 
And then the director's wife, the rather intense actress, just slaps him. And he's like, go, go, continue filming. <laughs> and so he, he ends up being a little late, but he comes in. And then they go back to where they started, um, which this is where Miss Mal goes insane. Right. And, <laughs> and like, that's off script. So now it's becoming this, like, chasing, like, this this slasher chasing movie. Yeah, they try to get the zombies to stop her, but then she just, <laughs> just kicks them all away, including the director. <laughs> Which none of that was planned, and they're actually, like... So, on a real set, if this were to happen, there would be some, like, definite law problems. Um, <laughs> there, there'd be some, like, major problems. There'd be problems. a lot of lawsuits. A lot of lawsuits, because <laughs> you're not supposed to actually do that unless you're given consent. Um, any, like, uh, intimate coordinator, intimate coach, um, from what little I've had experience with them, would, like, die... <laughs> in an event like this because their whole thing is to like coach the actors and actresses to have intimate physical contact and not actually like do anything right um <laughs> once once our main actress goes gets to the top there's the problem of Miss Mao going crazy. So yeah. the reason that the camera lingers on her for so long is they're trying it's to knock the, out Miss Mao. The whole Mal. crew is trying to just knock her out and then just put on like a like put on like a fake axe uh, in her head so that she's dead. <laughs> and so like the the um what's his name the the like the lead male actor just starts like making a bunch of screaming it's like don't do that don't do that we get an explanation we see why the audio mixing was weird at a couple points with like what channels like which side of the screen um like his voice was coming from which previously didn't seem to match where it should be but here it's just because his actor got like moved to a different area <laughs> right and then Following that, I'm trying to remember what what was the reason for her to go back down. Oh, um, was it was it the fact that like they needed to find it was? I think she was actually fed up. Maybe. Um, I don't remember why she just kind of left, and they were trying to figure out what the hell to do with the crane because part of their because at one point the male actor gets kind of knocked over and by miss uh now leading to him falling onto like one of the crew members completely knocking over their camera crane setup for the final shot which is supposed to be a smooth like rising up at the end right so now the problem is what do they do they have no right. crane the producer says to cut it the director doesn't want to cut it the daughter sees that the director is a lot like her and so she's like, how many people are is here? And then we find out why she asks that in a few minutes. So while they're trying to figure out the crane issue, they find out that they're having an axe issue because they need the axe for the final shot. Right. So they just the put fight. it put it like in front of the shed and they get like they put one of the set runners in they put his legs in zombie makeup and they just give him a sign. <laughs> 
and they they tell her to like improv during this which is why we have the zombie walking up and walking away and then she gets out and finds the axe and then goes back up where during the standoff between her and her boyfriend <laughs> Miss Mao <laughs> she just wakes up in the middle of it <laughs> and she's staring off into the distance and we didn't know why in the movie and she screams and then our main character she screams but now we see why so the director like tackles her back down <laughs> and she's like what is that and the director says that's our crane and it's <laughs> all of the stage hands are getting on their hands and knees and stacking each other yeah, so that they can pyramid. have so they can have a crane for the final shot except they keep having to stall because one of the one of the ladies keeps falling off <laughs> so then the director like comes back in following the death of their of the boyfriend and then he dies Mm-hmm. Which is where we get the whole shot of the spraying blood. And then finally, they're okay. They have the pyramid ready. And we get to watch her walk over. Yeah. And see the director the... gets on top. And then his daughter um, gets on his shoulders and takes the camera. Which is a very nice, like, heartwarming, heartwarming connecting moment. Right. And then following that, we get the final shot where... It's the money shot with the pentagram. We cut back to the producers and they're like, this was a success. It went exactly how we wanted it. Thank you, everybody. (laughs) And everybody's happy. The production went well. Everybody's like relieved it's over. And with that, we cut to the credits. Mm -hmm. And over the credits, we, in in an even more meta move, the credits we see real the real behind the scenes filming of like the the filming of the filming of the movie which this is you can actually watch the full version on the blu-ray disc in the states it's called the one cut of the dead gopro version where you can watch the entire because it's it's one of the crew members with the gopro on his head right Um, during the whole field sequence he actually had to like jump and duck to avoid like getting seen. So like you see the GoPro just dive into the weeds and then go back up. Um, but no, I, I love that. I love the fact that we then get a, we get footage of them filming the footage of them filming the movie of the movie. Right. It, it's such, it's just like a perfectly meta way to end. It is. And then it, it concludes and Especially with like the credits being done in the same way they were done, like at the at thirty-seven the... minute minute mark, right? <laughs> so this movie's basically chopped up into three parts: the movie, the pre-production of the movie, and the production of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> which I love. I love this movie. As a filmmaker, seeing stuff like this is always a treat for me. And oh, this I remember film's watching absolutely it. brilliant. <laughs> it's it's very well done. I remember when I first watched it, I loved it. I was so happy I finally got to watch it. I didn't know what I was expecting. I didn't know right. what to expect going in. And right. I was very I wasn't happy. quite feeling it at first. I was like kind of like, okay, this 
I, I don't understand what's so special about this. And then once, and then once you get to that thirty-seven minute mark, you are absolutely rewarded. Yes, and and I love it. I love it. I think I think this is a love letter to filmmaking mm-hmm. and the process that works. Right. And like to to it's think a very rewarding this, film. It is. It's a very rewarding film, and to think that this movie made over a thousand times its budget back speaks volumes it's, to how it's honestly quite it inspiring. It is. It's very inspiring. Um, I'm so happy that that this movie exists and that it did exceptionally well and is well received by critics. Mm-hmm. Oh, one hundred percent. It's it's very nice to see this stuff. Um, I I just I love it. I think this is a great movie, and I think anybody who appreciates film would love this movie. Yeah, if if you're like a fan of film, especially if you take, especially if you're interested in like the behind the scenes of films, or like are interested in yeah, just the general, just movie making in general. Like if you have an interest in that. This is basically a must watch, I'd say. I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. Like even if you're even if you don't really like zombie movies, if you like zombie movies then you got to check this out. But even if you don't, there there is a lot to love here. Right. Yeah. And I I I I think you said it best. I think you said it best. I'd recommend it to anybody who appreciates behind the scenes stuff. <laughs> Well, I don't I, I don't really have much more to say. Do you? Not really. I just yeah, I just really enjoy this film and I I don't know. This uh, so far this is looking like number 1. But Same also here. we've only we've only done one film, so <laughs> number 1 so far for zombie month for both of us. Love it. I know, ain't that shocking? That's uh, very shocking. Um, Rex, if you want me to, I'm going to go ahead and go and do the uh, the casting, casting crew. crew. Yeah. Feel free. So you have Shinichiro Udia, who is the director, writer, and editor of the film. He w- later did One Card of the Dead Hollywood Edition. He was the executive producer and did the screenplay for that one. Mm-hmm. One Card of the Dead remote, uh, Mission Remote. He was the writer, director of that one. It's a COVID short film. It's like 46 minutes long. Um, and it's it's basically the same idea filming remotely. Right. He did one called Siosu Sentai Sutsu Ranger. It's a short movie. He oh. was a director and writer of that. So it's businessmen who fight monsters. Huh. Um, and then he got credit for the original story for Final Cut, the French remake. You have Koji Ichihashi. Um, I don't have Iwata's. I think he did. Now that I think about it, I'm pretty sure, yes, he did. He got credit okay, for all of the uh, one-cut spinoffs. Okay, good. Um, I, I imagine so, that was probably like a contractual thing with their yeah. like, lawsuit. But you he, never know. Sometimes... <laughs> He got writer credit for One Cut of the Dead and original story for Final Cut, and he served as an executive producer on Final Cut. Your producer, Koji Ichihashi, was producer of One Cut of the Dead Hollywood Edition, One Cut of the Dead Mission Remote, and executive producer on Final Cut. As for your actors, 
Takeyuki Hamatsu, director Higurashi, also was in One Cut of the Dead Hollywood Edition, One Cut of the Dead Mission Remote, and was in Kamen Rider Revis and the movie for that. Yuzuki Akiyama, who played Chinasu, was in One Cut of the Dead Hollywood Edition, Kamen Rider Zio, and One Cut of the Dead Mission Remote. Kazuaki Nagaya, who played Ko, was in One Cut of the Dead Hollywood Edition and One Cut of the Dead Mission Remote. Harayumi Shuhama, who played Nao, now, was in One Cut of the Dead Hollywood Edition, One Cut of the Dead Mission Remote, and Kamen Rider Revis and the movie. Yeah, she was also in Hideaki Anno's Love and Pop. <laughs> Minabu Hoshi played Minabu Hoshoda, who was also in One Cut of the Dead Hollywood Edition and One Cut of the Dead Mission Remote. You had Hiroshi Ichihara, who played Kasahara, who was also in One Cut of the Dead Hollywood Edition, One Cut of the Dead Mission Remote. <laughs> Shantaro Yamazaki. I'm seeing that played... a lot of these actors returned for the various spinoffs. They do, they do. Shantaro Yamazaki played Shunsuke Yamakoshi, who was also in One Cut of the Dead Hollywood Edition. And then you have Shinichiro Osawa, who played Shinichiro Fugasawa, who was in Horror Mansion, The Blind, One Cut of the Dead Hollywood Edition, One Cut of the Dead Mission Remote. A lot of One Cut of the Deads. Oh, that's, that's crazy. So they all virtually came back for the spinoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, apparently, according to Letterboxd, at least, one of the actresses, Don Guri, who plays like one of the producers in this film, she apparently was also in the French remake, Final Cut. So the funny thing is none of these actors really were known right. at the time. But since then, I mean, some of them have went on to do some common writer stuff, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing too major, but I mean, still no. exciting nonetheless. And yeah, so that was, that was one cut of the dead. Do you have any last things to say? or? Um... I I recommend this movie to everyone and I think I think anybody who's a fan of film should watch it. I don't mm. think zombie fans would necessarily like it, but I think film fans will. Oh, I I don't know. I actually, I actually think there's I think there's value in this for like zombie movie fans. I I feel like I feel like they can look out of this. They might, they very well might. I could definitely see that. But I mean, I there's not a lot more I really have, really. I think that's... Well, I mean, that's good. That means that in the almost three hours we've been recording, we've covered. <laughs> well, uh, Rex, do you have any final thoughts? I mean, I've pretty much already said my piece on the film with this. Yeah, I just highly recommend it. <laughs> okay. Well, with that, Rex, I think there's one last thing we can do here. Yes. And that's the most noblest of podcasting traditions, the linking and the promoting of oneself. So where can the lovely listeners find you at, Rex? Well, 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 dear listeners, you can find me on YouTube at Rexina, on Twitter at Rex underscore Xenomorph, and on Instagram, Rex underscore Xena. And if you want to check out some of my writing, go take a look at the Tokusatsu Network. And as for me, hello, my name's Elijah. Uh, you can find me on 
Twitter at AT13Productions, on Instagram where you can see my toy photography at AT13Productions, or on YouTube where I post most of my short films. Uh, you can check out my most recent one, SOS Seek Shelter, on the YouTube channel AT13Productions. I'm also one of the main hosts of the Kaiju Weekly News Show every Sunday at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, if that's something that interests you. I'm also a member of Monsters with Attitude, a monthly live stream that talks about the wide world of giant monsters. Besides that, I am also a writer and a contributor to Kaiju Ramen Magazine. You can go to kaijuramenmedia.com. You can read my articles for the news, and you can order any of the 10 issues that we have published. Um, issue 10 should be shipping out pretty soon. I know pre-orders are probably closed by now for it. Outside of that, um, you can order the PDF versions of all the different uh, issues of the magazine. Besides that, you can also find my writing in Giant Bug Cinema and Monster Kids Guide on Amazon through Kindle or physical uh, paperback or hardcover where I wrote an essay or a review on Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster. And I think that's all I do. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I am the video, the head of the video department for Kaiju Ramen Media. So if you want to check out some videos I've edited, um, go to Kaiju Ramen on YouTube, where you can check out all the videos I've edited and, again, the live streams that I'm a part of. I think that's it. I'm pretty sure that's it. But... As for the podcast, don't forget to write us on iTunes. That boosts our ratings and helps us get recommended to more people just like you. If you don't have an Apple device, which I don't blame you, I don't. That's a lie. I literally admitted that early in the recording. I'm, I do a MacBook. I use a MacBook to do this podcast. <sighs> Disappointing. But you can rate us on Spotify now. That's something you can do. You can give us a five-star rating on Spotify. That'd be highly, highly appreciated. If you want to stay up to date with all things Kaiju Conversation related, follow us on Twitter at K-A-I-J-U underscore C-O-N-V-E-R-S. If you don't have Twitter, you can follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook at the same handle. If you're like me before podcasting and you don't have any social media, lucky you. You can email us at kaijuconversation at gmail.com, all lowercase, all one word, you know the drill. And as always, we'll read your reviews on air for everyone to hear. We also have a Teespring store. Eventually, we're going to have original artwork on there, but until then, you can sport our awesome logo on a t-shirt or maybe even like a coffee mug. If you'd like to chat with Rex and I, check out our Discord server full of others that have similar interests to you. Recently, in our general one chat, there was a conversation about the similarities between giant horde beast Nezera from the Nezera 1964 and Jiger from Gamera Rebirth, the animated series. It's a great community full of great people, a lot of great conversations on there. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell so you can be notified anytime we upload a video. We sometimes post exclusives to the channel like bloopers for episodes or minisodes talking about news or other subjects. We have a monthly show called Kaiju Conversation Live where we have guests on talking about a wide range of topics. We also have an interview with Mechagodzilla designer Jared Kurchevsky on the channel. I definitely butchered his name. I really apologize. I'm so sorry. <laughs> 
A huge thanks to Rex for editing all of these episodes and all the other content we upload. His links can be found in the description below. Along with Rex, we'd like to give a huge thanks and shout out to Danny DeManna of the Godzilla Novelization Project for his amazing vocals on our theme song. You can support him by following him on Twitter at Danzilla93 underscore GNP or visit his website, GodzillaNovelizationProject.com. And a huge thanks to Gretton Conwell from the podcast Giant Monster BS for composing the music for our theme song. You can support him by following the podcast on Twitter at Giant Monster BS or on any podcast platform under the name Giant Monster BS. And with that, we're going to wrap things up here. So thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, please remember, life's too short to not talk big. Bye, guys. Bye. We are set. We are in debt. There's nothing to sweat. Life's too short now, baby. Now, baby, we love those kaiju, baby, and you will too now.